Hey folks, my name is Donovan James. I'm hosting a podcast called The Endless In Between, based off my book of the same name. While I was reflecting upon the themes and stories, I wondered how they would intersect with the artists, creatives, and healers that I've admired for so long. Listen as I explore their experiences and everything in between. I hope you enjoy. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. This is part two of my interview with Eduardo Cristiano Hernandez. We talk about the DACA experience in higher ed, reforming education specifically within higher ed, and how folks can be an ally to those that are documented within the university. I hope you enjoy the second part of the interview with Eduardo. With that last part of what you said, I'm thinking about fear. I'm thinking about how fear is a tool that's been used to harm people of color within this country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, historically, it's what became the justification for Jim well, after enslavement, um, when like European um, Im- immigrants, so like Armenians, the Irish, Jewish, Italians came to this country and, and eventually assimilated into whiteness mm-hmm. or what the American definition of whiteness is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of the Japanese internment camps in California and like everyone that came here for a quote unquote better life. Um, and increasingly across the country, especially within the past four years because of the administration that we had, I see a lot of that fear uh, being shown on television um, and talked about, I'm sure, in households. So I'm very curious, like, from your perspective, what is some misinformation folks have about the immigrant experience when uh, coming to the US? Yeah, I think one of them is, and I hear it all the time, you saw it from the last four years of administration is that we were labeled as criminals, rapists, drug dealers, all of that. Um, that's one of the things that a lot of the white 
dominant racist people, you know, that, that, that group of people that will use that against a lot against, against the immigrant community. Like they will use that a lot. That's what they label us as. And, and that was a big misconception because we're not. Like we, we all came here for an opportunity. The other thing that I heard was, well, why don't you do it in your country? Allow these people to come from those countries. They're, they try, but they can't because the opportunities are not there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when there was this whole thing at the border where women and children and families were being gassed, right? As they're trying to make their way to the US. Wow. Um, and there, uh, if you Google this, you see the pictures of the moms with their children and you see the little bullets of gas coming at them from all, all over. And these are US officers shooting at them, right? And you will see in the comments, and I saw that a lot of comments like, yeah, go back to your country. That's what you need. Why can your country take care of you? Let's go back, hit on people from Honduras. Honduras, unfortunately, it's there's a lot of lack of opportunities for them there. So I'm pretty sure that a lot of these families they explore those opportunities, but they, they want a better opportunity. Then they say, well, why don't you do it the right way? Mm, yes, 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 I've heard that too. So the right way means that what? Because the people from Honduras that came to the border, they were doing it the right way. Well, you gassed them. And when they tried to apply for asylum, you still kept them out right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is, so let's say for my experience, my own example, I came here under a visa, which is very common with a lot of the, that's another thing that I found out a lot of my peers that are DACA, they came here under a visa. So there's another assumption, they assume that we all cross the border, like, you know, some of us didn't cross the border, we flew in, like we came on a, a tourist visa, but my story, which is probably similar to a lot of my peers, is that my mom didn't, was not working. She didn't speak the language. She was battling at that point so many things on her own in this country by herself that she didn't have the money to even buy a plane ticket for us to go back. So we got stuck, right? So like, so she couldn't afford a lawyer. She doesn't know nobody. All she knows is where our base is about to expire. So she had to make a decision to just say, well, I guess we're going to stay. And we stayed. We overstayed our base and we became, you know, undocumented. So you hear people say, well, why you didn't apply right away? Why didn't, it, you know, a lot of people apply? How is my mom going to do it if she didn't have any resources? Um, you know, you're talking about a, a, a woman that most of her life, she never had to work because my father was the breadwinner. And in the Mexican culture, I remember my mom in Mexico being the woman they, you know, take care of the house, did the cleaning, mm. cooking, taking care of the children. I never saw my mom had to do any type of work. My father will go to work, come back home. And it was always the same around the same time, 6, 7, 8 p.m. My mom will fix some dinner and we will all sit down at the table. Then we'll all do our homeworks. And well, us children, we will do our homeworks. 
Oh, I've never had to work. So how can you expect a woman to, who's never had to work now, you know, and I can't make this assumption, but I will want to say that mostly it's white racist people that are making those comments about like, you know, because I've seen it, I've seen it on Facebook, I've seen it on posts, like I said, and those are some of the common themes that I hear. And it's like, unless you really know, right? Like the other thing was that the most recent election, right? Yeah. That we were, that, that immigrants were still in boats. They were boating. We can't even boat. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. How are we boating? Or, you know, still in their jobs. We're still in people's jobs. Yes, that's. That's a major one that I I heard growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't think I stole jobs. <laughs> I um I saw an opportunity and I went for it and I got it. So um I remember during COVID, at the beginning of COVID, there was some people that were being challenged about we call it the day without immigrants, right? in which immigrants don't go to work. And you see the impact in the economy in the US. The very first time that they did that, nobody went to work. So um, who's gonna do the work? Who's gonna pick up tomatoes and grapes for $2.50 an hour under 90 plus weather with no insurance, no benefits, no breaks? Who's gonna do it? So. Um, you know, it's um, if if they call that still in their jobs, I guess we're still in their jobs. But these are hardworking people that are getting paid nothing to literally in a job that's literally killing them. Thank you so much for bringing up all these wonderful points and putting context to it. Because I am just like, there's no way that folks in this country that that are so volatile in their opinions that like those are their jobs. Like speaking to your point of like, if those are the jobs that we're taking away from you, then like, mm-hmm. but I highly doubt it. Like I highly doubt that. And I and, and, and I think it's like, is it because and again going to the fear? Mm-hmm. It's because you've been fed this for so long, but at the heart of your heart, you know that these are the people that make your food at restaurants. These are the folks that literally like keep the country going. And we see it with the coronavirus, right? Like the frontline workers, like they're paid the fucking lease and treated like shit. Mm -hmm. And yet they're keeping the economy going. And And we're still getting food on our table. If you still go to a grocery store, you see fruit in shelves, grapes, yep. tomatoes. Yep. And 
one thing that I would challenge people that are having those thoughts, even if they're listening to this right now, will be, who do you think is picking out those tomatoes and grapes and oranges? Mm. And how much do you think they're getting paid? And do you think that they're getting the safety precautions that they deserve, right? So like, are they being provided masks? Are they being providing COVID precautions? So they're just being thrown in there because even prior to COVID, they didn't have the none of that, right? So mm, yeah, they were already working on their very inhumane ways, you know? Um, so yeah, that's something that I heard very common growing up. Um, but um, I, I mean, I would challenge them to then come, come and let's do a round of picking up grapes and tomatoes. And let's see who, you know, who, let's see, let's just do it. Um, but yeah, that's so true. Mm. I think something else that came to mind too is like, again, growing up with the stories that were told is like, Oh, like they're coming over here to sell our jobs. They're coming over here to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how do you think that this country was started? There were people that legit lived here. They were, and um, maybe you know the correct terminology. I, I either go, now I say like indigenous folks, um, but I know the terminology is slowly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be like Na- Native Americans, right? Like, mm-hmm. and like, even like, so those folks, and even like, on the western part of the United States, how that was all Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, like, what we now in the United States would call white people were immigrants Mm -hmm. so it's just very hypocritical in my opinion it's also for me it shows a lack of education and i've said this in other episodes of the podcast too of like this ignorance and when i say like like ignorance in the purest form of the word is just not knowing Mm -hmm. when that is within our education system when all we know is specifically white history Mm -hmm. from a a white perspective when we don't know black history outside of mlk outside of rosa parks right like Mm -hmm. and i've said specifically in another episode too like taking all the wonderful, beautiful parts of of people's histories, and also t- talking about the harsh re- realities that weren't so good. I, it's such a disservice mm-hmm. um, going through the education system. Yeah, and and I mean, I, you know, at least what I found out, right? And it took me. Um, my last year of undergrad to find this out. 
I took an race and ethnics course with um, the fabulous Dr. Olivia Perlow at Northeastern Illinois University. Um, and the history of America, right? So like race didn't even exist when this whole thing happened. Mm, it was on made, it. Yes. It was made <laughs> to believe race was made by white people to be able to overpower those that did, didn't assimilate them. The only way that they can distinguish someone else to be able to say, I'm better than you, was to create race. And they created race. So you're Black. You're, you're Native American or indigenous, you're Mexican, you're Asian, you're Middle Eastern. They started making those divisions because that will be the only way that they can take power, right? So it's all about power. It's not about race. It's about, if you really go back to the history of this, race was never, there was a point in which that was that it was all together, right? But they started using race as an as as, as a, an excuse to overpower people, and that's what it is. So the only way that you can differentiate someone else is what they use was their differences. If you don't look like us, then you're not part of us. If you don't look white, you're not part of us. And that's how race started. And when I learned that through Dr. Perlow, I was like, I remember the first day of her class, she told us, if you're in a relationship, you're probably gonna be single by the end of my class. She's like, if you are struggling with anger, you're probably gonna be very angry by the end of this class. This class is gonna have an impact. And to this day, I always, just I just did it right now. Like I always use her because she made such a huge impact with her thought. She made me a critical pedagogical thinker. Like I'm very good now at having conversations with people and pick up things that people probably may not pick on, but mm. it's because I've been through her class. Mm. And Sometimes I'm watching commercials and I'm like, oh my gosh. For me, it's watching. So I'm a big fan of Lifetime. <laughs> I think they're so cheesy, right? But I'd be watching some of those movies and I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this right now. Yeah. And, right? So yeah. It's like, yes. And, and, and you just, you can't, you don't make this shit up. This is what a group of white people in Dr. Olivia Perlosa's classes, half, put a group of 10 white people in her class. I guarantee you seven, six or seven of them are gonna get up and leave. Mm. Because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm. Because it makes them see that this is your history. You have no history. Your history is this history and your history is gonna hurt you and the only thing you have to do is take ownership of that and then make reparations for that, like like fix it. 
be use your power of white privilege to to make good in the world. Um, I recently had, oh, well, you were in that meeting with Dr. B. Mm-hmm. What she said, you know, sometimes I go to my white peer and say, hey, I'm going to make this quicker. Can you just put it in for me and just so they, I can get it signed right away? And she, she says it, like, if I would have put it in, it will take weeks. She puts it in, it takes days. Yeah. What's the difference? I'll tell you the difference. One is black, the other one's white. Mm. This is what I want to tell people. Really don't go to the books that are printed in Texas. Most of the college textbooks are printed in Texas. Okay? Texas is so racist. So they're not going to put in the books what needs to be said. They're going to put what they want continue what it, this is, right? The division that, that, you know, all of that. And go to the other alternatives, go to the real books that people are not talking about that are not getting published. Why not that? Some people say that's conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy, it's a truth. And there's history behind that. So a lot of these books that Dr. Perlow had us read, they also talk about that. The books talk about Christopher Columbus who discovered America, but they don't talk about how many indigenous people he murdered, the children that he burned, the infants that he decapitated. They don't put that in the books. Why not? That's part of the history. They only put that he discovered America and he brought goods to the Native Americans and he taught the Native Americans language and, and how to write and read because they want to continue this idea that the white people are there to help, you know, minorities and like white people are good. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the other part as well. <laughs> Let's talk about the part that you're not putting in there where he talks about how he's a mass murderer. Like mm-hmm. he was not what they think it is. And I lived through that too. Okay, Donovan, I always believe like Christopher Columbus, mm. Discover America. I don't know if you were new, but I, when I it was in elementary, that's what I, we heard. That's what I learned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. And then that's I come I into college and they're like, I don't know if you really know who he was. Do you know that this is what he was? And I was like, what? The thing mm-hmm. about, you know, Frederick Douglass too, you know, if you do a history about the presidents of the United States that had slave, they were slave owners, you'll be surprised because in the books, they talk about them as if they're heroes and Abraham Lincoln was one of them as well. So why let's not talk about that. So that's a whole different podcast. We can go into that, but I can tell you it's, um, that's what we have to fight in this country, man. It's just, it's insane. It's insane. Mm. And I think that's what led to the last four years, definitely. Mm. So, again, this is my third time saying it while we're recording. Like, I'm so thankful that you're here and like giving a voice to this. I also had a similar experience in my undergrad, and it really speaks to again who has access to not only education, but higher education, because 
that's when I really learned the real history of mm. the U.S. And like you, like I like remember the uh, professor, <laughs> and I remember that he would wear so this white man named Paul Burke. He would literally come in and like the floral short shirts and like the the khaki shorts like the typical like white west coast guy i remember the first day that he was like i'm gonna make all of you so uncomfortable because i'm gonna i'm going to tell you truths about our country that unfortunately a lot of you are just hearing now Mm -hmm. and he was like a lot of POC folks may may like already know a lot of the history and a lot of it you may not, but for the white folks, definitely, I know that you are going to challenge me and I welcome that. Mm-hmm. And if you need to leave, then you leave, but I hope that you stay, right? So like, mm-hmm. even just, a, I remember that, right? And I, I think specifically for me, I grew up up in California where it's such an insulated state that the racism that I experienced was so, it was like little micro microaggressions, right? And in my head, I always thought racism is only in the South because mm-hmm. again, from the history books, that's what, that's what it, that's what they always made it seem is the north was was where folks went to to find their freedom right mm-hmm. no no one ever talks about slavery in the west which happened the racism in the west which happened and still happens yeah. so i i'm so thankful for professor burke i'm so thankful for courses like this and um something that I'm currently in a multicultural counseling course with a Dr. B as well. And one thing she said that when she said it, it, it was just like a mind fuck for me where she was like, our next social movement has to be educational re- reform Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh my goodness because she's right because everything starts with our education and what we know and that informs like how we think about other people of course it starts at home too right I think that's why you and I are well I'm assuming that's why we are trying to get into the couple and family therapy field is because we know how impactful families are and relationships yes and relationships are right until another point that I'm so happy that you brought up and folks can actually look this up there's articles on on the New York Times and on uh and on NPR about Texas textbooks saying one thing and then the state of California being the same textbook, but with yeah. different information. Yeah. 
So those are only two states out of the rest of the 48 states, right? Of like, yeah. what else is being taught? Yeah, and if you're taking them multicultural, which I'm actually, that's funny because I'm also taking it, but not with Dr. B, but I'm taking it with uh, Professor Santos. But challenging and being challenged is a good thing. Yes, so, yes, yes. You're sure, sure. going into a helping profession and you don't like being uncomfortable, you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> and I say that with a lot of kind and love, but because I cannot tell you the number of times that I sat in this class and I have confronted my peers mm. because what's happening now is we get to see how we've been brainwashed, whitewashed by the dominant world and the dominant ideology. And some people just don't see it. And unless someone else calls it out for you, and some people don't want to call it out for you because they're just comfortable with the status quo. And that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So I like to be challenged because I like to learn and I like to grow. And I have been challenged in, in, in the courses. I think I want to say that I'm, I want to leave my program as the student that, you know, he did good. He did what he had to do. But at this point, I don't mind leaving the program knowing it's like he used to shut me up and tell me that because that's okay. That's what we do. We, you and I both know that we also have professors that can, like any kind, I'm not just saying our school, but any school has them that are very biased and racist. Yeah. And we are the students. I recently heard Dr. Pelot said this to me when she said, I hate it when higher level executives at school say, oh, the, the, it's, it's the, the X, Y, and C, you know, they're failing their classes, you know, they continue to fail their exams and their test scores are low. And she says, no, 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 they didn't fail us. We failed them. We continue mm-hmm. to fail them because we continue to, to put them in a bucket of saying like they continue. Have, when have you asked yourself, why are they failing? Quote unquote failing. Mm-hmm. And what are you wanna do to help them not continue to quote unquote? No, we're failing them. And it's true, right? To these days, there's some schools going back to my identity. There's some schools that do not take undocumented students. And mm-hmm. I'll repeat that again. There are schools that do not take undocumented students. They legit reject you because you're undocumented. That's a lawsuit, but some students get, I mean, some uh, schools get away with it. Arizona has still the law that where students who are undocumented had to pay non-resident tuition. So whether one person pays pays $2,000 for a course, an undocumented student winds up paying $6,000, $7,000 all because they don't have, oh, they do have it now, social security number, but just because they don't hold that green card status. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it totally does. So and... but the books will, this will not go on the books that, that Texas will print out, mm. right? Um, and our multicultural book, sometimes 
I think one thing that helps me a lot too is when I'm reading these books is I do my own research about the author. I want to know who this mm. author is mm. because I want to know how truthful should I take what puts in this book. Because if I find out that this person probably has not done some very deep self-reflective work or whatever, I'm going to take half of it. Um, I, I, think every, I think every textbook that we have should have a multicultural component because what we yes. know yes. also all of the textbooks and all of these theories were made for white people, right? So they, they lack that multicultural component of like, there's other people that, you know, some of these theories are may not be applicable for them, but you're not talking about that. You're talking about, mm. oh, it's schizophrenia. Oh, it's mm. X, Y, and C. When in reality, it's probably something else from a cultural aspect, you know, when you, but yeah. Yes, there's two things you said that really hit home for me. I think one of them being how you do your research um, on an author of a textbook. And for me, that shows critical thinking. And that can be applied to things outside of education. And I think in particularly, no matter what party line you affiliate yourself with, no matter what, you should always do your own research and come to your own conclusions of things and really think, why do I believe this? Like, what about X, Y, and Z topic makes me really feel so passionate about it? And you know, like, and I think that's a thing we've talked, I've talked about fear um, a bit earlier in this episode of like, I think that's what it is, is people are so afraid of the unknown that they won't even go beyond what they're being told. And that's dangerous. So I, I, I think just really doing your own research on things. And, and for folks who are like, oh, like, I don't like to read um, like an academic paper. I don't want to read textbooks. There are podcasts, there are things on social media. And I think that's the thing too, is like, if you can take the time to scroll on an app for an hour, there's definitely time to type something into a search engine. And I think specifically being POC and queer, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, I'm sure you had, where we're often people's search engine like asking us questions Mm -hmm. like but it's like I'm only one person with my own experience I don't speak for everyone in my community or everyone in my race and I think especially in the time that we're in when there's racial uprisings when folks are actively trying to work towards social equity but I would say the folks that don't know where to start, you can literally do a Google search. Yeah. <laughs> because 
And for me, like, this is my way of helping folks. But I'm at a point where I'm tired of answering people's questions. Y'all know how to search for things. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's the first point. And I'm happy that you spoke about. I think the second point that I really wanted to uplift is like our field, the field of therapy, it's pathologized and harmed POC folks, it's harmed LGBT folks, right? And I think there's something so fucking powerful about us being in this field. Yeah. We have so much cultural knowledge, personal experience and knowledge that I think is our superpower and is going to help us to help clients of diverse experiences. And I'm so excited for you and the more that I've learned about myself within this uh, experience in school I'm excited for for me too yeah yeah we are the future of counseling and and we gotta set the the path for the next generation that's why you know I've been talking a lot about that lately with my therapist and even with my advisor Dr. Tejada about I'm going for that PhD, I'm going for that PhD, I'm going for that PhD. Mm. And one thing that I'm very known for, and my mom can tell you this, and my sisters, once I set my mind on something, it's hard for me to get out of it. So, and one of my biggest motivators is because we need more BIPOC representation in higher education and educators. Because there's something remarkable about an educator that shares lived experiences with their students. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that, like, the, there's, a, there's a, I'm not saying that a white person cannot teach a multicultural counseling course. I'm pretty sure they can and they're capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. But there's a different component when it's someone that represents that community, right? So like like if you put someone who who was raised undocumented or someone who identifies as multicultural, bicultural, um, or someone who identifies as queer, someone who identifies as trans, someone who identifies as brown, someone. There's something so powerful of being able to have your students seeing you, that perspective that like, you get me. And I mm. think right now there's not enough for even higher education administration to say, okay, let me put this professor with this class just because they don't have them. And the reason is, then they also, we have to ask this question why we don't have it. It's because the students don't wanna do it or is it because they don't have the resources to be able to do it? And I'm pretty sure it's because we don't have the resources to be able to do it. 
right? Mm -hmm. Why they continue to offer scholarships to more of non-BIPOC people, right? So like, mm -hmm. why do we have to, and I think that's what Dr. B was talking about too, when I heard say what she said about educational reform, it's part of that too. Um, education should be made available to everybody. Education should be free for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody should be able to pay their way to college if they're willing to pay for it. Um, and everybody should be paying the same thing. Why else? Uh, to this day, one of the things that surprises me about higher ed and, and education is like, why do they make asylums and refugees and, and, and non-residents pay higher tuition? So like that makes that just that just seems very strange to me like like unfair is the word that I would use like why are we why are you making people pay that like I just but yeah but that's a bigger bigger conversation but yeah that leads me into the topic of being a first-generation student. I know you touched upon it earlier in the episode. Um, what are some barriers that, what are some barriers that you've either encountered or heard from other folks um, that folks that were born and raised in the U.S. wouldn't really think about? Mm -hmm. I think that some of the barriers definitely has been financial and then also um, representation and then also um, just mentorship, I want to say. Um, because you don't know who to trust that will understand you. I'm, I, I, I want to say I consider myself fortunate that I um, have had the opportunity to to be mentored by another BIPOC educator who's not at NAU, um, but that's very important to me. And um, I'm not certain, but I, I wanna say that I'm almost 100% sure that maybe if the undocumented community of scholars and college students and high school students, if they just have that one person, that one mentor, it will push them farther. It will make a huge impact. On top of that, with the financial aspirations, resources, um, which, I also want to take this opportunity. Part of the event that I attended yesterday was to an event where a group of undocumented students from UIC built. Uh, are you familiar with Wiki, Wikipedia? Yes. Okay. So they built a version of Wikipedia for undocumented students. So it's called Undoco, Undoc Wiki. Mm. Um, and it's built by students for students. And the hope is that they're going to, I don't think it's the hope, I think it's definitely going to happen. Cause obviously I'm talking about it. I'm pretty sure the other hundreds of people that were in attendees are definitely sharing the word about it. Um, if there are any undocumented students or high school students or college students that want resources, it's UNDOC, 
wiki.com um, and they have the most recent uh, resources available, anything from scholarships to mental health resources to legal resources as well. Um, and they have an area for events, webinars, etc. So those are some of the things that, that we need and continue to need. It's just resources, um, whether financial or just like on Duck Wiki or mentorship, right? And then, um, and I think the other one will be let's 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 stop rejecting people just because they're not U.S. citizen or they're not residents. Like let's that 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 just that just annoys me a lot, and um, that that annoys me a lot. Mm -hmm. How can students, faculty, and staff at universities that are not POC or undocumented better support those that are? Mm, I think leaning in and learning about the undocumented community or the or or the um, BIPOC community and and uh, and engaging in community in, in organizations or trainings or engaging in events um, that's important. At Northeastern, Luvia Moreno, the director of Undocumented Student Services, hosts a training for undocumented students. And she does this beautiful job where she has two undocumented students come in and she does her part of the presentation for half an hour and the other half is just, again, the power of narrative therapy. Mm -hmm. um, two students walk into the, to the main, to the front of the stage and they start talking about their experiences. And I wanna say that the vast majority that comes out of the training either comes out very emotional or they come out with at, at least the, 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 it's making sense in their brain, right? That's all we need. Just let's get it started in the brain. Um, you don't have to agree or disagree, but at least let's get that process in your brain going that you're making, trying to make sense of it all. That's a good sign, I want to say. And Trainings such as that are powerful because otherwise we're gonna continue with the status quo. Um, but that's very powerful. So I think it's just training and learning and education and don't assume, ask. Um, at least for my identity, eliminate the I word. Let's eliminate that word. And I'm not even going to say the word. If you need to know what, I, what I'm talking about, Google. I undocumented, why not say the I word? And it's gonna tell you what the I word is. I don't have to say, I'm not going to say, I made a promise I will never say that word again. So I'm not gonna say it, but eliminate that word from your vocabulary when you just eliminate that word. Um, at least when you're speaking about the undocumented community and the DACA community and the documented community and the non-documented community, that word needs to be eliminated. Um, and the immigrant community, like that word needs to be eliminated. Um, so, 
education. But again, they're not going to know that unless they have events like this, even this podcast, where they're going to take time to listen to it. Otherwise, if they knew, um, otherwise they're going to continue to use the I word without knowing that it's inappropriate. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think something I hear a lot is that when someone learns something new, particularly about a culture or, yeah, I, I particularly about the culture, like that they feel that it's too big an issue to solve. Like for example, like racism, it's too big of an issue for people. Um, like once they really learn the root causes of it and what it is. So in your experience and in your opinion, what would you say to someone in terms of first steps that they feel overwhelmed? Mm. Take time. It's okay. Just take time to process whatever you need to process. But then don't 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 avoid it and then don't go back and, and resume what that process is, right? Like like if you go to a let's go if you go to a retreat where you're it's something about meditation and you're gonna learn something about yourself. Um if it starts to make you feel uncomfortable, I always look at that as a good sign, actually. I actually look at it as a good sign. Now I can do something where I can step away for a minute, but I'm not gonna take the first flight back and get out and go back home. Like, no, I, I will just take my time and then go back and regroup and say, okay, what am I feeling? What's this that's going on? How do I process this? I think a lot of people are afraid with, with being uncomfortable and again, I go back to this confrontation, being uncomfortable. If you're, those are those terms, uncomfortable and, and um, being challenged, they, they, that's not part of your, you, you don't wanna deal with that. You, you be, there's some work that needs to be done. Like you need to do some work um, because life is about sometimes being uncomfortable and then you are gonna be challenged. So I think that, but also you're human. So I will respect people if I'm calling, let's say, for example, if I'm calling you out on something that it's, I appear to be racist or biased, mm. I expect the person to, maybe there's going to be some anger, maybe there's going to be some conflict, maybe there's going to be some confrontation, but I always put some joke and humor into it, and I'd be like, you're going to be okay, pray about it, we'll talk later. <laughs> you know? But I I, I, like I, I, I I don't want it to end it into escalating where, you know, some people can get very like, ah. And then I'm an heiress and I'm very, I'm very also very, very quick to the mouth. Okay. So I, then we're both going to go. It's just not going to go nowhere. So I, I prefer to add humor to it. And it's just like, Hey, you pray about it. We're going to be all right. Okay. Whatever. And then, but I also respect her because I can also imagine that if I'm, if I was in their shoes and I feel confronted, like how I will feel, I will hope the other person give me some time and space to process it. Um, but I will not forget about it. I will go back to it again to finish what, what started that process. Because obviously I had a reaction about something 
and I cannot just avoid it just because it's painful. I need to resolve it. Um, otherwise it's gonna continue, you know? So I remember one time my therapist told me that, you know, she sees a lot of times clients quick therapy once things start getting real. Mm. So I think this is similar to that. Don't walk away when things get painful because that's when the healing begins. So I think that being able to challenge yourself and be challenged and being uncomfortable is a good thing, but honor what you're feeling. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling anger, you're feeling whatever, okay, let me take my time. But then I make the decision about what people I let in my life and which people I don't. So, um, uh, but I'm very hopeful that there's kindness in every people. So hopefully that's not the case, but um, honor what you're feeling. Don't, don't, don't forget about it. Go back to it and, and process it, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. So we're coming to the end and I have to ask, when have you experienced joy this week? When have I experienced joy this week? I experienced joy this week, today, of course, talking with you today. That's one oh, way to thank experience you. joy. But I always experience, and that's why I'm in the program that I'm in. I'm a family person, right? I experienced that I got a chance to see my sister today, and I invite, and I, I, we had some Starbucks, um, and I just get joy of seeing my family again. So I went back home a little bit to, I'm not gonna like to do my laundry because they have washer <laughs> there. So, um, but at least I got to see my family. And, and there's something about family and relationships to me that is so powerful. It just, even if it's just seeing them a little bit, my nephews and my mom and my niece with her things that she says to me sometimes and seeing all my six dogs that are back there and just family is everything to me. So I experienced joy in that this week. It was that. Um, and um, and and yeah, yesterday with hearing my peers' stories from Undoc Wiki um, presentation, continue to learn that we're here. We're not. We're not going anywhere. You're gonna have to, America. You're gonna have to do something about us. <laughs> Give me my green yeah. card. Uh, and because we're not going anywhere and you're stuck with us and we're going to prove you that we we had a group of six undocumented students build a website that is going to make an impact in the world of a lot of undocumented students so we're not going anywhere it takes a village and the village is here to stay so I took so much joy and I continue to say that to the panelists, like, oh my God, I'm so thankful. And, and one of the things, I don't hate it, but I just found that it's very common now when I attend those webinars with my undocumented allies and, and my village, I'm gonna call it that, my village, please don't, if that's a wrong term, please let me know, but I'm gonna call it my village. Um, I always end up crying, mm. always at the end, but it's because you get to hear their stories, but in that, me crying, it's just this joy because because we've been, we're being recognized and we're, we exist and we're here. So I experience joy in that too. Thank you so much for being here. Before we close, how can folks connect with you after today's show? 
Um, I mean, they can connect with me through my email. It's E M C R I S T I A N O at Gmail. Um, or I do have a LinkedIn. I think under LinkedIn, I'm under Eduardo underscore Cristiano. Um, I also believe in the power of networking and you want to send me a message, if you want to talk, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, today had me so full of reflection and joy. And I really learned a lot. I, I really think folks listening, I hope that y'all learned a lot as well. Again, thank you so much for sharing space with me. I'm so happy that you were able to join us. No, thank you. I think, and again, I think the power of narrating your story, which is what you're doing, you're giving people the platform to talk and, and express themselves and share stories. It's amazing and it's powerful. And I'm so, and then, you know, I'm so happy that you have this. I'm so happy that I got to meet you and that we're in the same program and we're gonna kick some ass, man. Yes. Thank y'all so much for listening. Tune in next week. Bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Endless in. Between underscore podcast and on Twitter at John O. James 4. Until next time, bye.